Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message, it was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear, please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 507. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone, I hope everyone is fine and dandy. 507, it just, you sure 500 just gone and we're just carrying on? Hey, what a miserable day. I'm sitting here at my desk, bright and early, this Wednesday morning, and it's just pitiful. We had, would you believe, a little hurricane storm pass by ourselves. Yes, two days ago, Storm Ophelia. It got downgraded as Storm Ophelia. Basically, this was a drop in the ocean, a tiny storm. So I can only imagine what you have went through, you know, down with the, the big ones coming, you know, the kind of the bottom part of America and all the, the islands down there. Man, just, you know, my thoughts go out here. It's just, it was just rattling the wind and everything. The storm, I live on like on, on the, the northeast coast of England and... I know we, the Ophelia kind of mainly hit like Ireland, you know, that kind of went that way. But, oh, man, what a... Ah, we, we, we get nothing like that. We just get the kind of miserable, <laughs> cloudy, you never see blue skies. But, you know, it's not often we get like storms like that. So my thoughts go out here if you're still kind of reeling from the storms that have been going on over the past month or so. So let's get into the main fiction. It is Claim Jumpers by Doug C. Souza, originally published in Visions 5, Milky Way. Doug C. Souza lives smack dab in the middle of California, where he writes speculative fiction. His stories have been published in Asimov's Writers of the Future, Volume 33, a good volume indeed, and many other short fiction publications. When he's not writing, Doug enjoys teaching aspiring writers and kicking it with his wife and main reader-editor Nicole. But mostly, he and his wife enjoy chasing down their two-year-old daughter who loves to learn by doing... (laughs) No! No! (laughs) He can be found online at Doug C. Souza and on Facebook. Now, this story is narrated by Logan Waterman. Logan Waterman has a degree in technical theatre from California State University and has worked in many theatres, large and small, professional and amateur. Logan currently lives in Northern California with Grendel, a huge black beast whose primary occupations are sleeping and stalking the fish in the aquarium and keeping mum about the house being safe from the hordes of invisible monsters that come out of the, out of the dark. And Morgana, a fluffy queen who rules her domain with an iron paw. The fish are unimpressed. He has narrated for Drabblecast and all five District of Wonder shows and is the only narrator to do so. 
Logan, sir. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Claim Chumpers by Doug C. Souza. Stupid hatch. Bulky and cumbersome like it belonged on some ancient submarine. Instead, it sat smack dab on the barren surface of New Hygieia. Pockmarked and barren, the onyx terrain screamed free property for those who get here first. Primed to be seized, had it not been for that stupid, ugly hatch. You see, hatch meant inhabited. Definitely man-made. Ronnie's smarmy tone had me wondering if his Enviro suit could absorb a stomach punch. The high-end Enviro suits the fat man our Mark had lent us. <clears throat> Excuse me, our investor, Mr. Rufinegro. Lighten up, he jostled my shoulder. We can still close the deal. I brushed him off. We did close the deal, and we're nearly gone before you let the fat man pull us back here. He seemed about to reply, but then thought better of it. The microgravity on New Hygieia only added to my aggravation. The weak pull required walking sticks that pierced the granite-type surface. Our boots were also spiked, but far too weak for anything other than slight tread. Ronnie and I had plodded along, like two centigenarians, piercing the ground with a seven-inch lance. The feeling had been something akin to mountain climbing, except we would have drifted upwards to our death. I wanted to rub my temples, but my hands bounced off the faceplate. I settled for a hard wince and a sigh. Ronnie shrugged and kicked the side of the hatch. You didn't think to check the shuttle for overrides, I asked accusingly. We were a quarter of the way home when the fat man remotely accessed our shuttle and summoned us back. No, because I didn't think we'd get called back while in range. Usually takes a day or two for the mic to wise up. Too busy counting the money. I turned to stare at the myriad crescents overhead. New Hygieia's skyscape was speckled with billions and billions of asteroids. Rocks the size of freighters glittered like small moons. No, Ronnie jabbed his data pad in my face. I've been resting my hump finalizing the transfer. Also, I've done a complete info dump on all facts in New Hygieia. I'll find out who was brain-boiled enough to come here. You keep the run going with the fat man. Remember, this is a two-man job. We'd be looking at nothing if I hadn't... Get your game face on, I interrupted. Here he comes. We watched the magnificent space yacht Tyrannus pivot above us as a schooner exited its docking bay. I glanced over at our own shuttle parked a few meters back. The fat man had merrily lent it to us when everything had been copacetic, just over an hour ago. Not only had he paid us a handsome finder's fee, he'd lent us the schooner, an elite-class shuttle we were not planning on returning. All scans had run nice and happy until, whammy, that prehistoric hatch appeared on some view screen on the Tyrannus, blemishing the otherwise desolate planet of New Hygieia. The hatch wasn't exactly prehistoric, but definitely pre-solar expansionism, or whatever they're calling the space rush nowadays. The fat man did not look happy. He didn't use the cumbersome walking sticks and boots. Instead, he had a small mini-jet at each wrist. His gut bounced furiously as he maneuvered towards us. How he made it jiggle in New Hygieia's microgravity was beyond me. 
Obviously, he was no veteran when it came to operating the mini-jets in Zero-G. Vivencia, his Amazonian bodyguard, sailed in after him. Her graceful glide was much easier on the eyes. Heavy, choppy exhales sounded in my earpiece as they came within range. Through the Envirosuit's faceplate, I saw the fat man's salt-and-pepper hair hung down in strands. He'd prepped in a hurry. Not a good sign. He shoved past us with a small burst from his mini-jets. He knelt at the hatch and slapped his hand against it several times. It took a moment to realize he was trying to knock. Don't you think it would have opened from the inside if we were a welcome sight? Open it, he ordered and slapped away. Vivencia landed graceful as an egret. She examined the hatch while pulling a small satchel of tools from a pouch. Still no hello for Ronnie or me. Another bad sign. I fumbled for the all-talk switch on my wrist console. The safety bracelet attached to my walking stick hindered my movements. Mr. Rufinegro, you did not call him the fat man to his face. That may not be safe, I said using my most cautious scientist type of voice. There may be micro-contaminants. See that suit you're wearing? He pinched my sleeve. It may be skin tight, but it ain't weak. It's what's keeping you from popping like a zit out here. I ain't worried about catching a cold. Dribbles of spit collected on the inside of the faceplate as he talked. A horizontal line dropped down and whipped moisture away. I nodded and returned my attention to the beauty working the hatch. As Vivencia bent to lift the hatch, she gave us a view of her glorious backside. Skin tight, indeed. The hatch budged a few mere centimeters. We watched for any response from inside. Nothing. Finally a good sign. She rearranged her hand on the rung, utilizing thrust from the mini-jets at her wrist. <clears throat> Ronnie coughed. The fat man didn't flinch. <clears throat> he coughed more loudly. The fat man remained transfixed on Vivencia's progress. I switched off the all-talk. We still got the private channel, I confirmed as I looked away to conceal my face. I had a feeling the fat man wouldn't appreciate our conducting private conversations behind his back. Don't get lazy. Always check your all-talk switch. My partner was too much professional to allow such an error, but I chastened him anyway. Taking him down a peg or two felt good. Ronnie shot me a hurtful look and then said, That's some view. Learn to give it a little shake, eh, fatty? No response to Ronnie's comment. Instead, give her a hand, the fat man growled. I made a face showing I didn't appreciate being ordered around. He returned my look with a glare, saying, I'd love to take you back to my yacht and have you jettisoned somewhere out near the outer rim. I knelt down to help. I anchored my feet and shoved. G-pull on New Hygieia was about .008 of original Earth. The hatch must have been gummed up because it barely budged as we toiled. While the buffed beauty and I worked, Ronnie wormed a different approach to our run with the fat man. Uh, Mr. Rufinegro, according to the most recent addendum, primary appropriators can still attain mining climbs on discovered territories as long as any pre-existing territories are sufficiently abandoned, Ronnie said as he typed his datapad meticulously. It was amazing how a few seconds ago he sounded like some garish juvenile, and now he carried the cadence of a pompous, finely-threaded suit. Sufficiently abandoned, the fat man muttered. You could practically hear the wheels cranking to life in his head. I wanted to grin. Such strokes of genius were why I brought Ronnie. He may underestimate the complexity and dangers of our job, but he could fabricate legal jargon like no other. He'd planted a properly evil seed for the fat man to cultivate. Remove pestering habits equals ownership of planet. Not a difficult job for the capo of the stellar mafia. With new vigor, the fat man knelt down and helped us open the hatch the rest of the way. We peered down into the dark emptiness. Throw your light, the fat man told Ronnie. Uh, what? Vivencia reached over, tore open a pouch at Ronnie's thigh, and yanked out a compact lantern. She flicked it on and tossed it down the hole. It drifted, slowly spinning. No ladder. Not a surprise, ladders weren't common in microgravity. Finally, the light settled, maybe ten meters down... Smidges of shadow th revealed footholds and a grab rail along the interior walls of the shaft. You first. Damn it, he pointed at me. I flipped a button and the walking sticks retracted with a quick snap. I sheathed them at my side. A subtle magnetic drag started on the soles of my boots as I entered the hatch. I maneuvered two footholds at a time, not needing the grab rail. 
It wasn't long before I was on the floor and picking up the compact lantern. Well, said the fat man from above, nothing, idiot, is what I wanted to say. But instead I answered, it's difficult to discern within the limited illumination. However, it is clear the structure is abandoned. Done and done, Ronnie cheered on our private channel. Go down, the fat man said. I waited to see who joined us. If it were Ronnie coming down, the hatch closing us in would be the last thing we saw. That meant the fat man had discovered Ronnie and I weren't legit. These moments in the run got my blood going, part of the thrill and addiction. I pointed the light upward and was greeted with Vivencia's wonderful behind. Did I mention the skin tight and virus suits? Ronnie soon followed. We listened to every grunt and groan as the fat man made his arduous shuffle down the shaft. Turn off your all-talk switch, I willed. No go. I stomped my feet to get the blood flowing. It was a sparse G-pull, about a tenth normal. I handed Ronnie back his compact lantern and pulled mine out. The design made it difficult to hold. I fiddled with it, trying to get a decent grip with the cumbersome suit gloves. Two seconds later, I saw Vivencia snap it into place just under her palm. I copied, pretending I knew how all along. We scanned our surroundings. Besides the steel flooring, footholds, and vertical railing, the rocky walls were practically empty. The striations creased the interior. Some metal struts lined the inside, but very few. I searched for any symbols or letters on the steel plating, but found it covered with a grimy mucus. I ran my gloved finger to clear away some, but doing so scraped bits of metal off with it. I examined my glove, but the substance dried instantly and dissipated into nothingness. I checked the steel plate and discovered the trail was gone. I peered closer. It was as if I'd never touched the plate. There. The fat man pointed his lantern toward a single door hidden inside a grotto. The door appeared similar in bulk and design to the hatch. Vivencia started working on the door. From the drag of her feet, it was clear she also had magnetic soles. I assisted of my own accord, depriving the fat man the satisfaction of issuing more orders. Using the lantern, I checked to see if the door was welded shut because it wasn't budging. The same grime covered the handle, making a solid grip difficult. I think it's paired with the hatch, Ronnie said in our private channel. I sneaked a glance up to see he was correct. A drop pin had locked the hinges. Had I been in a more helpful mood, I would have commented on this and even suggested we use the walking sticks to increase leverage. Since no one had come to greet us, I gambled, hoping the fat man would send us on our way. It's locked, we might as well go home, I thought. Vivencia turned to the fat man, shaking her head. Wisps of dust floated around us. It grew thicker each time we displaced more grime. He shined his lantern across the door, then above it, then following the lever connecting to the pin to the hinges. Then he eyeballed the hatchway. Damn it. An airlock. Shut the hatch, he ordered Ronnie. My partner nodded exorbitantly, playing the kiss-ass lawyer to perfection. He even fumbled a bit with the footholds and grab all. Okay, don't overdo it. We watched as the locking drop pin lifted when the hatch above us closed. I waited for telltale signs of an airlock being accessed, but no torrents of air gushed inside. Searching the walls, I found vents, but they remained still. Nothing changed as Vivencia opened the door. It revealed a narrow corridor, similar to those in old seafaring battleships. A maze of pipes, arranged in some brilliant engineering feat to save space, decorate the walls. It made for a tight squeeze. Mr. Rufinagro, it appears our work is done here. Ronnie held up his data pad, taking pictures. After a few snapshots, he showed the fat man evidence that the structure was clearly abandoned. He ignored Ronnie. Go, he ordered Vivencia, then pointed to me. You next, then you, to Ronnie. Single file, we started down the passageway, the fat man bringing up the rear. I switched off the power on my magnetic soles and drifted in a cautious swim down the passageway. You handholds appeared every other meter. It didn't make sense. The fat man should be ecstatic. Not only had supposedly just laid claim to a highly sought-after planet, but he would supposedly gain rights to this structure. Why not let us go? I wasn't worried about a double-cross, because as far as the fat man knew, Ronnie and I were the only ones who could drop the legal papers for procuring this planet. How did we miss this during pre-season? I asked Ronnie privately. 
easy. I've been covertly poring over file after file and anything with new Hygieia comes up nil. Yep, I muttered sarcastically. No one's ever been to new Hygieia or settled it. Something changed the deeper we went in. The walls of the corridor shimmered. Small bits of lettering appeared, but had grown indecipherable, overrun with filth. I ran a hand along a wall and discovered it was wet. Not heavy moisture, but a thin film. Again, it dried and disappeared from my hand. What's that? The fat man asked, peering past Ronnie's shoulder. Clueless, I rubbed my thumb and forefinger together. Not much different from my other hand. I do not have adequate tools to conduct a conclusive test. However, I tried. What? The fat man grabbed my hand to get a closer look. Water, I said with confidence, but had no idea what it was. He flung my hand away. Then I noticed the pipes along the walls were splotched with mold, but I kept it to myself. The last thing I wanted to do was pique the fat man's curiosity. We came to a threshold. The door was open, and we began to descend a gangway to get inside. A medical bay, or what appeared to be. It was hard to discern in the roaming beams of our four compact lanterns. Rows and rows of steel beds bolted to the smooth, rocky floor. A spongy lining topped the bed. I pressed my hand into the material. It broke away at the slightest touch. Decontamination chamber, I ad-libbed. Used to check for contaminants. No kidding, genius, the fat man said. Yeah, like he knew. Abandoned, I reminded him. Long ago. Are you still taking pictures? The fat man asked Ronnie. Ronnie held up the data pad. Yes, sir. Stop, he said, heading back towards the door. And delete the ones you've got. Yes, sir, Ronnie answered. You could hear the delight in his voice. Get a burn crew down here, the fat man told Vivencia. Use no more than three guys, guys who can keep their mouths shut. He slowed, making sure Ronnie and I comprehended. Guys that realize speaking one word about this place would be a horrible mistake, because they don't know what they saw. I fought every cell in my body, trying not to pirouette gleefully in the glow G. Instead, I struck a stoic pose and feigned hesitation. A true scientist would want to explore. Ronnie holstered his data pad and turned to hurry out. A lawyer would just want to leave. You drop that schooner at Demos Portus planned. The fat man put a hand up, stopping Ronnie. I've got markers to set on the planet side. You'll get the rest of your money once the deal clears. Since we've got absolutely no property licenses to put the fix on for you anyway, Ronnie started on the private account. How about we just keep the shuttle the 15% down, get lost on an earthside beach, and you go to... The fat man's head snapped around, his eyes fiery. Ronnie gulped, sharing my thought. He'd been boasting over the all-talk. But it was Vivencia. She hadn't moved. Mr. Rufinegro, over there. It was the first time I'd heard her voice. She must have been calling him during Ronnie's playful rant. Our lanterns joined Vivencia's lone beam centered on the intruder. Someone stood stock still in a vintage spacesuit, bulgy cylindrical arms and legs connected to an unwieldy torso that held a bubble-shaped helmet. It looked puffy and almost comically out of place. The convex faceplate reflected a gold tint in the beam of our lanterns. Run that through your search, I told Ronnie. I already am. Something was off about the posture. The head cocked to one side, as if examining us, but the rest of the body stood hunched forward, unnaturally still, like a marionette doll, waiting to have its strings tugged, awaiting directions. He moved. His arm drifted upward, like a leaf on a breeze. Wisps of dust swirled throughout the room. Must be the remains of an air circulation system, I tried, but even as it left my lips it didn't sound convincing. The entire time we'd been in the med bay, I hadn't felt the slightest drag of an air current. Or it could be geostatically moving with new Hygieia's orbital pull? Ronnie piped in. That made more sense. No, Vivencia wasn't sold. I noticed she had a weapon drawn and pointed squarely at the intruder. Her doubt troubled the fat man. We kept our lanterns fixed on the person in the old spacesuit. As the arms lifted, only inches. The movement wasn't random. The guy did stand slightly hunched, but his arms twitched with a purpose. Not sign language, too slow, and hardly noticeable at first glance. A pattern to the movement became clearer. As if underwater, 
the arms dangled upward, stopping just below chest level, and the thick fingers of the gloves opened and retracted. The same movements, over and over, like he was completing some private task. Vivencia stepped closer, drawing us with her. Each of us kept our lanterns trained on the lethargic intruder. Hey! the fat man yelled. No response, and I didn't feel like explaining that sound waves were practically non-existent down here. That guy's gonna mess everything up, Ronnie said. Yep, start thinking of something. What the hell's he doing? Vivencia kept her shooter locked on the target and waved her free hand in a large arc. She stepped up to the body. Somehow, I knew she didn't need the shooter. The guy moved too drunkenly to be a threat. His arm just drifted in front of him, slow-mo typing on some invisible keyboard. A cloud of dust bunnies drifted away and disappeared. Using the tip of the lantern, Vivencia prodded the guy's hand, then his arm. His whole body turned and scarcely lifted off the ground, but dropped back down and stood. Vivencia took a step back, keeping her shooter pointed at the guy. He leaned against the wall. His back turned, but his hands and fingers continued to open and close in that same pattern. The helmet turned subtly and then back. Vivencia gave a rougher poke, and the body fell completely to the ground. So some graft pull on him, but not much. His hands and arms still grasped errantly, like a kid wanting his teddy. For a long moment, Vivencia knelt next to the guy, her lantern running up and down the length of the archaic spacesuit. The fat man waited patiently near one of the old medical beds, arms crossed. I snuck Ronio. What do you think? Look. He shook his head. Mr. Rufinegro, Vivencia said, her lantern fixed on the spot near the guy's faceplate. The fat man swung his bulk forward, shined his own light, and quietly asked, What the hell can that? His voice wavered, absent of that machismo drawl. The fat man stared at the guy in the spacesuit while waving us over. His gesture was fast and pleading. No yelling, no belittling. Ronnie trailed and drifted next to me as we realized what had spooked the fat man. At first, I didn't know what I was supposed to be looking for. The guy's arms and hands continued their slow movement. Vivencia knocked her lantern on the faceplate. Up close, the beam penetrated the reflective tent. I squinted to make sure I saw it right. Just the inside of an empty helmet. Empty. I jumped back, jostling the body with a kick as I stood. I spin-tumbled in low gravity. A hand grabbed my shoulder, riding me. It was Ronnie. Easy, he said on our private channel, followed by, What is it? Over the all talk. There's no one in there, I said. I watched the spacesuit slowly spin upward after my kick, the hands still moving of their own accord. Some automated system? Ronnie asked over the all talk. This would sound better coming from a scientist, he reminded me privately. I blinked hard. Uh, yeah, probably old protocols with my wayward algorithm. Simple program, still running. Mumbo-jumbo. That suit was controlled by something else. I hit my hand on the faceplate of my Enviro's suit as I tried unsuccessfully to wipe my brow. I blinked away sweat that had trickled into my eyes. Sensing the moisture buildup, my internal wiper squeegeed the inside of my faceplate. The auto feature nearly had me yelping. I reinstated the magnetic pull on my boots. Vivencio reached up and dangled the suit before the fat man. He looked closely, yanking the hands. Weird, he said, followed by, Burn the suit first. Vivencia grunted, tossed the old spacesuit into the air, and shot it. A percussion wave tore a hole through the stomach. The perimeter of the hole sparkled bluish and silver embers as the spacesuit disappeared into the darkness of the medbay. We turned to leave. I walked in a daze, wondering how it was possible. The old suits didn't have anything automated except for the bare essentials like air exchange, catheters, temp control. It wasn't until recently that spacesuits had incorporated typical EVA controls into sleeves and leggings, but that suit was far older. Too caught up in my own thoughts, I accidentally bumped the fat man. I hit him pretty hard and waited for the inevitable scolding. Instead, he said nothing but fired his mini-jets frantically, falling back and nearly trampling me. Again, I stumbled in the low G. The hell? I rose, looked past him, and immediately understood. The way we had entered was blocked. Numerous spacesuits stood hunched. Some in the doorway, but most in the corridor outside. Ronnie reached around me, 
pointing out something to my left. It was another spacesuit, but not in the doorway. This one stood near a medical bed. Just like the first spacesuit, it moved its arms in a practiced motion, as if meticulously working on some unseen patient. The four of us waited back to back, lanterns sweeping across the med bay. Each beam of light revealed spacesuits that hadn't been there moments ago. Vivencia stood closest to the bodies at the door, pointing her shooter. Take them out, the fat man said evenly. Just as before, a percussion wave ripped through the ancient material, but this time it continued through more than one suit. The bodies toppled backwards. Shiny dust sparkled and exploded like fireworks. Instead of fading, however, the flickering dust brightened and coalesced into a cloud. The suits behind the fallen plodded forward. They didn't step over the bodies, but came in a slow wave. They jammed the doorway. The fat man's heavy breathing sounded in my earpiece. Vivencia took another shot, immediately followed by a second, and a third. More dust collected into the nimbus, which became a thick milky blue. The radiant layers of light trickled out and rippled across the bits of dust. More bodies pushed through. The torn spacesuits drifted upwards. Vivencia shouldered her way into the crowd, many jets at full throttle. For a moment, it looked like she was going to make it through. Ronnie jumped after her and stopped short as I grabbed his leg, yanking him back. No, I said, not yet. He surveyed the medbay, wondering why I had stopped him. We watched Vivencia go deeper into the sea of bodies. Ronnie thrashed, trying to break free. I freed one of my walking sticks, anchored it, and reeled him in. Vivencia seemed okay, yet my gut told me to hold fast. The bodies ignored her as something flickered. I held my walking stick with one hand and righted Ronnie with the other, so he stood at my side. What are you doing? We gotta get out of here, he yelled. I nodded toward Vivencia. The crowd of bodies was no longer ignoring her, but they weren't exactly bothered by her either. They simply moved to face her. Instead of continuing past the doorway, toward all of us, they focused on her. The blue nebula faded into the crowd of spacesuits. Oh! She gasped over the headset. Phosphorescent wisps darted from suit to suit, spiraling in on Vivencia, now dead center in the crowd. Our lanterns were no longer needed in the pulsing glow. She continued to club the empty suits away, but there were too many. Get her out of there! The fat man glared at us. The bodies had fully converged on her. A fine blue light hovered around them. The apex remained locked on Vivencia. Her arms stopped flailing. Her voice quieted of any protest. An eerie resignation that had me wanting to yank out my earpiece. Of course I couldn't. Not with the Envirus suit. The blue nebula drifted into her suit. She dropped. This way, I said, releasing the walking stick and hoisting myself along the med bay beds as I pulled Ronnie in tow. I called after the fat man, ordering him to follow. I glanced back and saw Vivencia slouching listlessly. The crowd of bodies turned away from her and toward us. The blue nebula returned and sparkled above the crowd of suits. I led us into the darkest corners of the med bay. Illuminated beams from our lanterns swung intermittently, searching for a way out. There! Ronnie shouted. Only a few bodies littered the narrow passageway. The fat man pointed his shooter. No! I yelled. Don't touch the suits. Don't shoot the suits. Try not to rip them. I demonstrated how to make our way through by letting myself drift over, under, and around the small crowd. The intact spacesuits made no attempt to stop us. The walls in the corridor shone brighter, glimmering in the glow of the lanterns. I did a horizontal mad dash, grabbing any handholds and pipes within my reach. The fat man bounced around from behind, his mini-jets dangerously sporadic. I watched for any hint of blue behind us as I rounded each corner. It grew fainter. Up there! I pointed to an open doorway. I clutched the doorframe and yanked myself to a stop. Ronnie and the fat man tumbled past, but eventually joined me. Seeing no spacesuits, I signaled the all-clear. No one budged, so I went first. After signaling another all-clear, I ushered the others in, lanterns leading them into more blackness. We stepped into a room of no discernible purpose. Empty racks bedecked the walls, massive girders outlined the ceiling in serried rows. Puddles riddled the floor. Puddles? Well, that jarred me. Ronnie tried to shut the door, but it wouldn't latch shut. Ghosts? The fat man asked absently. I anchored my pole and sat behind it with my back to the nearest wall. Damn spirits? Possessed spacesuits? Space station poltergeist. It surprised me that the fat man wasn't hounding us about leaving Vivencia. Ronnie and I did a quick inventory. 
checking the pouches on our envirosuits. We didn't find much. A couple of aerosol containers, probably for emergency thrusting. Some folding pliers, backup batteries for the suit. I flicked off my lantern, as did Ronnie. What are you two all about? The fat man asked, shining his lantern in my face. I don't know what a scientist would have said in this situation. At that point, I didn't care. Those aren't ghosts, I said. The hell they ain't. I've never seen a ghost, but those things pretty much act like I think a ghost would act like. He stood over me. I had half a mind to kick his shins and drop him. Well, whatever they are, turn your damn light off. I don't want them following us. I stood to face him. I wasn't so worried about the spacesuits anymore, but the blue glow that emitted from them once ruptured. Ronnie came forward. Mr. Ruffinegro, couldn't you just uh, call the ship and have some of your crew come down and clear us a path? I tried that. He waved him off. Too weak a signal under this much rock. Can you boost it? The fat man dug a finger into Ronnie's chest. I don't have power for that. Didn't bring amp runners. Wasn't planning on staying down here that long. Can you get through at all? I asked, gesturing toward the spare battery packs. Near the hatch, in the airlock, probably. That's what Venencia was trying. A soft humming sounded over my earpiece. The melody was unfamiliar, and the voice sounded dazed, as if trying to remember a tune. Then it was gone. That was her, the fat man said, then added hazily. I think. He turned off his lantern. No one commented further on the humming creeping into our earpieces. It may have been her voice, but it wasn't her. The wall suddenly shimmered to life, almost metallic silver. The glow was similar to what I had seen in our trek deeper into the station, but this was more pronounced. The fat man pulled his shooter. No! I blurted and grabbed his arm. This is different. I understood the fat man's apprehension. The glow was natural. However, I didn't know what a percussion shot would do in such cramped quarters. The fat man must have considered this as well, because he holstered the shooter, albeit hesitantly, and we observed the glistening walls. It was clearly unlike anything we had ever seen, yet different than the blue glow. The dancing lights on the walls flashed airily and didn't bear any substance. Ronnie handed me his data pad. He had the backlight on the lowest setting. I kept a hand over the display to shield any light coming from the glowing walls. You're all networking? I asked. What is this? What are you doing? The fat man demanded, pulling the data pad from my hand. What is this? I rose and grabbed it back, scanning it quickly. It has to do with merging thought patterns, mapping neural pathways, shadowing consciousness. Some practice made illegal before it was fully tested. So? The fat man asked. Admittedly, I had the same question. I don't know. Ronnie answered, taking his data pad back and bringing up a different screen. All I did was take a pic of that blue stuff when it first gathered from the ruptured suits, hit find, and brought up this article. You have some kind of satellite access out here? Of course not. I did an info dump on all information pertaining to New Hygieia before we left the shuttle. What's New Hygieia got to do with neural netting? Neural networking, Ronnie corrected me, and then continued scrolling through the pages. I don't know. I thought maybe it would bring up schematics or some type of map to the place. A distant voice sounded in my earpiece again, saying, Columns 3 through 11, omit 5, find the standard deviation, carry over to next sheet. The fat man looked more shaken than before. It was Vivencia's voice again, but absent of any life. Here, Ronnie yelled as he read from the data pad. Dr. Craig Deshane, forefather of artificially assisted neural networking, Nearly a trillionaire back when a trillion been buying your own country. Had enough clout to legalize neural networking for a brief period, a method by which computers shadow the neurotransmitters responsible for conscious thought. Shadow? I asked. Yes. Says, paired with biochemical impulses, shadowing tiny portions of synaptic plasticity proved to be more effective than mapping created a sort of real-time database, but could only run a fraction of what a person was thinking. By linking several individuals, they could collectively problem-solve. At least that was the goal. What's that got to do with this base? The fat man asked, and I had to admit I, too, didn't see the connection. Dr. Duchesne, frustrated with regulations, opted to leave and work independently, free of restrictions. 
He was one of the first to leave Soul System 1? I asked, the doubt clear in my ears. Yes, with many followers. Most scientists agreed that overbearing governments hindered true progress. But they didn't have the means. Ronnie shrugged. Says here, Duchesne convinced them space travel of that magnitude was possible if it were a one-way trip. Sounds more like a cult than a research team, I muttered. The fat man caught up. You're saying this guy settled New Hygia? Uh, about two centuries ago, Ronnie confirmed. Those suits were empty, I pointed out. Whatever neural nets going on with empty space suits. And possessing Vivencia. The fat man commented. Ronnie was scrolling through several pages, found something, and then added, That's the reason the practice was ended on original Earth. People started linking up beyond their control. The algorithm modified itself by the millisecond, and shadowed thought patterns repeated aimlessly. Random thoughts reprocessed endlessly via Duchesne's program drove users mad. Duchesne was certain he could make viable adjustments should he be able to continue his research. What's that blue glow? The fat man mumbled. Uh, probably, Ronnie said. Nimbus Wave Plasma Tech eliminated the need for external hubs. No, I mean the door. We turned to see a faint blue glow blossoming just outside the doorframe. Crap. I gulped as the blue nebula filled the entire doorway, barricading us in. The faint glow on the walls disappeared. The three of us backed away to the farthest corner of the room, only to see wavy fronds stretch out to seek us. One hit me. A bombardment of thoughts ripped into me, each violently disconnected, beyond comprehension. It left my consciousness ebbing away, as if my mind was handing over the controls. Madness. Blissful madness. I felt my body and arms moving of their own accord. A deep slumber swallowed me. Restful. A turbulent wave erupted to my right. The fat man writhed as he covered a gaping hole in his stomach. His legs kicked spasmodically. The blue glow backed away and then spiraled out of the room. I clicked on the lantern at my wrist as I tried to shake the Jupiter-sized headache. Reality returned. Ronnie sat across the room. I dashed over to him. You're back. Ronnie glanced up. How'd you do it? Do what? You were one of them, like Vivencia, and then you came back. He murmured. I shrugged, not remembering anything but the disarray. He held the shooter. What the hell happened? I asked, my head throbbing from the invasion. The haze thing got to you? He whispered. I wrapped his faceplate. Ronnie, snap out of it what happened. I kept glancing behind me, afraid the deadly nebula would return. Ronnie stared ahead, unperturbed. Ronald Benjamin, report, I ordered. He blinked hard, but still seemed lost. Mr. Rufinegro freaked out, shot at the haze, and then tried to shoot you. I kicked my spikes up at him, knocked his arm up just in time. Percussion bolt nearly took my head off. Self-defense, then. I suppose so. And the blue nebula? My head hurt just thinking about it. The misty stuff? Yeah, it got you and took off after you woke up. It took off? Okay, then. I didn't have time to work out why we were left alone, just that we had a window of opportunity I didn't want to pass up. Let's get out of here. I peeked around the corner of the doorframe. The blue nebula was nowhere to be seen. Perhaps a large window of opportunity. The fat man's hands remained locked over his giant gut, but it was obvious his wound penetrated clear through. Ronnie showed me the shooter. We wrestled. I shot him. Yep. I stared at the fat man, realizing this was far from how the run was supposed to play out. Poor Ronnie. I promised him long ago this sort of thing wouldn't happen. He wouldn't have taken the shot unless forced. Sorry, Mr. Rufinegro, I said as I undid the clasps for the many jets at his forearms. He didn't resist. <laughs> Both of you <laughs> are dead. <laughs> I handed a mini-jet to Ronnie, but he just stared at the empty doorway. Finally, he pulled up his data pad. Hey, you drive, I'll map us a way out. Sounds good. I strapped on both mini-jets. Uh, let's get out before the old blue nebula of death returns. <laughs> he forced a chuckle. Ronnie was acting weird, his mind obviously somewhere else. 
Keeping sharp during overtime is what stresses the pros from the amateurs. The con had gone terribly bad, but after getting my brain invaded and manhandled, I was determined to get off New Hygieia. Sure, an ethereal entity hungered for us in the closed area, and I panicked the first time, taking us further away from the hatch. Not only did I have the challenge of trying to recall the layout of a primitive base from hell, but I would have to keep an eye out for the faintest hint of blue down any corridor. Having to explain a dead mafioso is also something I wasn't looking forward to. I hoisted Ron in a half-hug under my shoulder, set the mini-jets on low, and started down the corridor. It was nearly impossible to navigate and carried Ronnie, but I managed. Ooh, gross, he cried out. I think I know what happened to the people. What, I asked, and turned to scan the passageway to see what had grabbed his attention. Nothing but darkness. Ronnie continued, They were in the suits when we got here. Uh, no, they weren't. I continued forward, realizing Ronnie was researching instead of mapping a route. Since he had nearly gone comatose earlier, I held back any chiding. What was left of them? Dr. Deshane required organic material to create the hubs for his neural networking. So? So what do you think happened to the people in those suits if they stood around talking about spreadsheets all day? Yep, that's gross. Long minutes ticked by as Ronnie continued bombarding me with theories. Not once did he offer any input on which direction to take. Ronnie? Yeah? Was I the only one that went after back there? He waited and then said, Yeah, you were. From what it looks like, it's a proximity thing, he explained. Get close enough and the thing snags you. I don't know why I'd asked. Maybe part of me was wondering why Ronnie was busy theorizing instead of helping me map a way out. What are you up to, Ronnie? Finally, I had us back at the corridor that led us to the med bay. I cranked the mini-jets and flew past the torn, lifeless spacesuits that bobbed in low G. A thick cloud of dust shot out, blocking the entrance to the med bay. It coalesced so profusely our lanterns couldn't penetrate. I refused to panic. The dusty mist was darker than the blue nebula, and that seemed foreboding in itself, and it moved as though it were alive. Whatever. Not blue equals good. What's this crap? Ronnie asked as he pushed past me toward the dark nebula. Relax. I grabbed his ankle and pulled him back. I think it's from the grime. I scraped some away earlier. It was wet, but dried and drifted off. Don't go jumping into it, though. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. The dust suddenly shifted and disappeared all the way into the med bay, clearing our way. Ronnie said exactly what I was thinking. Someone's opened the hatch. We flew into the med bay. A troop of standing spacesuits blocked our only way out. The blue nebula sparkling fiercely above. Old spacesuits, not a rescue party. Get yourself out of here, Ronnie said, forced me black roughly, and lunged toward the blue nebula. My reach for his ankle fell short. Suddenly he's coherent? Ah, damn. Ronnie had pulled the old shell game, making me think he was in some state of shock while planning to make some heroic atonement. Self-sacrificing idiot. Luminescent tendrils snaked out and pierced his faceplate. I finally reached him and pulled, but it was too late. Ronnie's breathing got heavier. The nebulous intensity increased and Ronnie went limp. I realized this must have been whatever Ronnie saw when I was attacked earlier. Add that to whatever he'd learned off his data pad, and he knew something about this blue nebula taking over one host at a time. Watching it, I could easily surmise exactly what was happening. For a second, I was tempted to bolt past the thing and to the hatch. But only for a second. Instead, I did the only thing I could think of. I grabbed my walking stick, set the tip to pierce, and stabbed Ronnie's dangling ankle. Ah! He cried out, cradling his leg. The blue tendrils recoiled, and the nebula darted back. Son of a... Holy lordy, that hurts! Why? His eyes pleaded. It's leaking air, you moron! He hunched over and grasped his boot. I've got to hold it to keep from losing air so I can breathe. It hurts so bad! I pointed the lance at my own foot. Should the blue nebula come any closer? It didn't. The blue nebula hovered and circled above us, but wouldn't approach. I stood and braced Ronnie under my shoulder. He panted, clasped his boot tight. I hit the mini-jets and flew over the spacesuits and steel beds. So not fair!
there, he sobbed. Remember that next time you set up, I'll run on the side. I got through the doorway, cleared the med bay, and my lantern revealed hundreds of spacesuits littering the gangway. Whole spacesuits, not torn by a percussion shot. They stayed where they were as we exited. I felt like I was at some overcrowded party, almost saying, excuse me, pardon me, coming through, as I gingerly made my way past. A quick glance behind revealed a trailing blue nebula. The bodies thinned as we neared the airlock. I knocked a couple a little hard in my haste. The blue nebula remained a few feet behind us the entire time. Ronnie's sobs quieted. I barked at him not to pass out. We passed a blank-eyed Vivencia. I stabbed her in the foot, but to no avail. For a second, I thought she might have been the one to open the hairlock, but she was too far gone. A stream of air spewed from the hole I'd made in her envirosuit boot. We... Ronnie muttered. What? We... <clears throat> we should bring her with us. She's a vegetable, I said. Yeah. He cheesed a rueful grin. Do not pass out, I ordered. Hey, the boot sealed over my wound. His hands drifted loose from my grip as he stared at his own fingers with wonder. He smiled as he continued explaining. I was too busy holding the rupture to notice. <laughs> hey, man. Ronnie going into shock would shut off his pain receptors and bring the nebula. At least that was my working theory. I readjusted my grip and double-timed it down the corridor to the airlock. Life without bodies, Ronnie muttered. As I climbed into the airlock, the blue nebula still trailing. It seemed closer. I shoved the heavy door shut behind us. The mad doctor's dream was consciousness without physical form. But his little neuroplasma net thingy ended up eating their hosts. <laughs> I grabbed his head and examined his face. He had a sheepish smirk, which he quickly tried to replace with a stirring glare. What? he asked. Do not pass out. Shutting the airlock door did little to stop the blue nebula. It simply crept through the vents. It was closing in fast. The blue tendrils reached towards us. Ronnie slumped. His arms dangled loosely. I kicked his wound. The blue nebula hesitated. He coughed something unintelligible. I kicked again, higher up his leg as I drove the spikes into his shin. Ah! He cried. Again. I hate you. But he was alert. The blue nebula darted away, but remained just inches from us in the airlock. The wispy arms reached again. I grabbed Ronnie, ignited the mini-jets, and flew upward to open the hatch. The lantern snapped off as I worked the hatch lever. The plasma in their brains had nowhere else to go after death, Ronnie continued as if he hadn't passed out just seconds ago. I cranked open the hatch and jetted us to the surface. Combined with that neural networking crap... It evolved into a separate consciousness. Stop freaking talking. It hurts, okay? I accidentally overshot our exit from the hatch and had us drifting away from New Hygieia. The abyss of space was a welcome sight. Anything but blue. I maneuvered the mini-jets and made a beeline for our shuttle. Four crewmen expecting the fat man's schooner Idis as we sped past. They had their shooters drawn. Your boss has been calling for you for hours, and he's pissed, I yelled at the open channel. The blue nebula emerged from the hatch for a moment, and then changed course towards the crewman. Finally at the shuttle, I leapt in, sat Ronnie on a table, and tossed him a first aid kit. Besides possibly going into shock, he'd be okay. He screamed as he cauterized his wound. No demands came from the fat man's crew, nor did I feel any percussion shots raking the shuttle as I started a rapid pre-flight procedure. The shuttle lurched to life, but much too slow for my liking. I was in a damn hurry. A soft chuckle sounded in my earpiece. Ronnie? I asked. Those goons are so screwed, he said, staring out the portal. I watched the starboard viewer as the blue nebula attached to one of the crewmen while the others shot at it. I didn't find it as funny, but then again I wasn't soaking up morphine. Glancing back at that lonely hatch on New Hygieia's surface... I wondered how I'd ever tell the authorities what the hell just happened. There you go. Copyright is Doug's. Doug, sir. Thank you so much. Wow, excellent story. And Logan, man, you little star, you little tinker. Thank you so much. 
That is today's show then. Just playing the story and we're moving on. Don't forget, listen, we survive by Patreon. Top and bottom support work. If you have just come over and you're thinking, well, let's see, he's after money already. We've been going 10 years. Let we go another 10, 20 years, man. This kid is fit as, fit as out. And he wants to keep on going. So support work on Patreon. That would be fantastic. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.